Welcome to the Simple Cyber Podcast, brought to you by Internet 2.0, where our cyber intelligence specialists talk with other domain experts about the steps you can take to keep your organization safe. Hello and thanks for joining. My name is Chris Lawley. I am the Chief Commercial Officer for Internet 2.0. I am joined today with Robert Potter, our CEO and co-founder. Robert and his team headed up an investigation recently into the procurement of PCR equipment in China during the months prior to the world finding out about the COVID-19 virus. Morning, Chris. Thanks for joining. Let's get straight into the questions. Um, and uh, I'd like to begin by asking you for your insight and your, your opinion on why a cybersecurity company was doing research on digital procurement. Why was this important? Well, it's really interesting because cybersecurity skills uh, are in short supply at the moment. So there's a lot of really interesting questions that we can tackle if we apply cyber skills particularly cyber forensic skills, uh, to tackle questions as they pop up. So if you think of investigative journalism as it emerged in the 60s and 70s, you know, the key stories that uh, the investigative journalism got out into the world around Watergate and the Pentagon Papers and things like that, you saw a disciplined approach to journalism leveraging essentially what were basically police skills to get stories out into the public domain that otherwise wouldn't have come out. What we're seeing now is that we've seen all this creation of this digital evidence, uh, digital footprints and fingerprints on just about every big story as they come out today. And in order to understand a lot of that, you need to use forensic skills that really sit in the domain of cybersecurity and uh, you know, a best practice by cyber professionals who can you know, assess evidence, confirm the authenticity of documents, uh, do digital statistical inference in the same way that we hunt for malicious traffic uh, using the same tools like Splunk. So bringing that together empowers journalists to tackle questions that they otherwise couldn't. And it shows that the direction uh, of cyber intelligence as a practice beyond just studying the malware and the campaigns of bad, uh, of bad guys, which has been very useful, uh, but going forward, the shortage of cyber skills means that a lot of questions wouldn't be answered properly if we didn't make ourselves available uh, as professionals to start tackling them. No, that's really interesting. And it makes a lot of sense. I know that when, when I first heard of the report um, months ago, I, I really sort of um, grappled with the, the question of what, what are we doing as a company uh, getting involved in this? But as you say, it, it's really to sort of highlight a skill set that can be applied um, in a magnitude of different areas. What, what does interest me a little bit, and I'm sure this is a question that, that you've had before a few times, but... What actually made you and the team want to research this particular issue? What was it that, that you found was, was I guess, appealing or, or easy enough to do? Um, and how easy was it? This wasn't an easy one at all, but we're attracted to answering and tackling the big questions with the coolest tools. And as cyber professionals, when we want to show the cross-applicability of our skills and to show that cyber can contribute to more than just your understanding of breach data, we've as a company, have been involved in the investigation of things like employee fraud. Uh, we've been involved in law enforcement prosecution cases. Uh, we've been involved in civil, a lot of civil cases, and we've been involved in providing protection uh, and cyber advice to people who are just now finding out 
that the, the crime they're most likely to be subjected to is a cyber crime. And so because we can apply these, this lever uh, to, to move uh, our understanding of facts, uh, we're in a position to really contribute in new ways to debates that might have already exhausted all the evidence that normal journalism might be able to dredge up. So we, we were looking at not, not getting involved in you know, the huge and you know, vast questions about the origins of the coronavirus. We didn't want to get involved and litigate out our interpretation of what that meant or where it came from, whether it was a lab leak or whether it was, you know, came from uh, a bat cave in, you know, in Southern China. We, we're not in a position to really answer that because we're not the sort of scientists to answer those questions. Or we're not journalists with the sources to go and find out what people know. But what we can do is introduce facts. We can assess evidence and introduce those facts into the debate with full confidence uh, that having come from the best cybersecurity thinking uh, that's available on planet Earth, that you can have confidence in what we're presenting back to you. And so there's a novel application of our skills that's only novel because other people don't do it very often. And had this been a normal part of how people interrogate data and how people interrogate journalism questions, what we released would have come out 12 months earlier and might well have changed the debate. So we weren't interested in just being another opinion piece. We wanted to say, this is what we've found. This is what cyber forensics can offer. And even on the biggest questions of the day, like the procurement uh, of PCR equipment in Wuhan leading up to the, you know, the, the, vir uh, the viral outbreak of a generation uh, that has literally changed the world and killed millions of people, that cyber forensics can contribute a powerful voice into how we understand the world around us. No, that, that's really cool. And, and, you know, being part of the organisation myself um, and, and heading up the commercial team, I, I've been asked several times, well, you know, what do you think really happened? And I think it's, it's an important point there that you've made. Um, that, that doesn't matter. What matters is the facts and, and being able to demonstrate facts and be able to sort of gather that, that evidence, um, whether it's been forensically analysed or not, is essentially a skill set that, as you say, is, is in huge shortage across the world. Um, and, and that really kind of now leads me to my next question, which is, you know, a moment ago, you, you mentioned a couple of words, fraud, uh, civil case. Um, talk to me a little bit about how the skill sets that we have in the organisation today that have been demonstrated through that specific press release can actually be applied and how they indeed can protect businesses today that find themselves um, in, in a sticky situation. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start with the example of how it works in the media side, and then I'll go into the corporate side. So we're, when we're talking to media, a lot of journalists get given things by various sources, and they don't have the skills to understand what, what the level of risk attached to that is, what their level of confidence in that data should be. Uh, and the truth is, Internet 2.0 passes on a lot on a lot more stories than we ever publish, because a lot of what we do, turn, it's not wasted effort because it gives confidence to the journalists that what, they, what, what they've got is either really good or not high confidence in, in its provenance. We can't tell you where it came from. So some great examples of, uh, of high confidence when take the CCP list uh, that we, we were given a copy of a membership list of the Chinese Communist Party out of Shanghai. Uh, when we were given a copy of it, we were given a copy of it that had actually been altered. 
And so we traced it back using our skills to the original documentation. And because of how it had been downloaded, it actually had evidence of the original breach data in the headers of the file, which meant that when we found that original version that had that in it, we were able to go back to the journalist and say, this is the, this is the best version of the data. This is the, this is the authentic stuff. We've got high confidence. We know where this came from. We know that by the time we were done studying it, we knew the building it was downloaded from. And so bringing that cyber skills to the table means that when a journalist goes out there, they can say, well, we've, we know that this part of the story is bulletproof. Uh, and they can go with high confidence when they publish. The other component of that would have been a really great example of when someone bought us a story uh, about uh, the, the son of a president. And we looked through the evidence of that information and we passed on the story. We're like, well, this is, we don't actually think there's anything we can add here because there wasn't much in the way of, that we could add in terms of cyber forensics. And we were like, well, actually, we also think it's been dressed up. Uh, and so we passed on that story. And then the, no journalist published it. And then when the activist who brought that story to them did publish it, they were, their story exploded. Uh, and so, but we were able to help the journalists who were handed that data and that information determine whether or not it was worth their time or not going to hit publish. And what that means from a, from a business point of view, and it's, it's not a bit as big a bow as you think, is that every now and again, an employee will come to you and they'll say, oh, I've got this email that, that you, you've supposedly sent me. And it says you've offered me these many shares or this much of a pay rise. And you see people who get involved in these, uh, these fraudulent activities uh, internal to the company. And then we can go back to the, to the company and say, well, let us have a look. We'll assess you know, where these emails have come from. We'll tell you whether or not they're genuine or not, or whether or not we think there's a degree of fabrication involved in their argument. And we'll give them a report that allows them to say, actually, we never promised this. Uh, this person's committing fraud. And so that's a direct application of the exact same process. We do the same thing with law enforcement too, where when one of our customers, if they get uh, hit by a cyber attack, we can very quickly figure out what data has been stolen, where it has been sent to. We can figure out so oftentimes who's behind the attack very quickly through our forensic capability and often get to the retrieval of financial uh, losses for companies and even to the arrest of the hackers themselves after, after they've committed their crimes. Awesome. Tell me, I mean, the, the, the analysis that was done and, and the forensic cleaning of the information that you were able to obtain clearly has, as you mentioned before, some some key factual information that was presented to the world, possibly for the first time, um, certainly on this particular subject. In summary, what did the report actually show us? It showed us that there was a massive buy-up of, of PCR testing equipment, which is used in the testing of uh, lots of viruses, including coronaviruses, in the lead-up uh, to when we commonly understand uh, the pandemic to, to have been disclosed to the international world. Now, we all know that there was a cover-up uh, by the Chinese government. The question is just how extensive was it? Uh, and from the data, we were able to see that in comparison to other provinces of China and other municipalities, uh, that there was an out-of-trend procurement uh, that dates to, to several months before China came clean and said that the, the, the pandemic had started in their, in their country. Uh, 
And we, we went from that information and had to normalize it because Chinese procurement data is very noisy. Uh, it's not easy to do this sort of longitudinal analysis across it because of it's not really designed to let you do that particularly easily. So our team worked for months to, to normalize that data and we did a very successful job of it. Fantastic. Look, I mean, I think it goes without saying that, um, you know, it's also an important piece of, of, of forensic analysis that, that really had to be done. So, you know, congratulations to you and the team that, that have been able to sort of pull this together at, at such, a, such a successful magnitude. With regards to the team and, and the wider company, you know, that we have, we, we've always been very pro ex-military we we have a mindset that's different to other cyber security companies could you please just take a few moments to to explain i guess the next layer down from that tell me a little bit more about the background of the team and the skill set that, that actually really does exist within internet 2.0 yeah it was a very interesting team that tackled this question including former journalists uh there were linguists there were intelligence officers and uh, there were cyber forensics people. There were open source intelligence analysts and procurement specialists. And even although we only ever acknowledge people in, as authors without pseudonym, but we, had sufficient, we also had significant assistance from people who were in the, uh, the pharmaceutical industry who were, involved in, uh, who were involved in procuring PCR equipment for their own companies uh, who were able to help us understand what various elements of the of the data showed us and their and their help was invaluable so we bring together these highly diverse teams with completely different mindsets backgrounds and experience and that's a that's a an intelligence concept called a fusion cell which is the idea that you if you treat everything as a nail you're only ever going to use a hammer but you'll see things differently if you bring different minds to the table so it can never just be an intelligence question. It can never just be an OSINT question. It can never just be a Chinese language question. You'll reach the, you'll exhaust a single line of questioning very quickly if you only ever apply one skill. So what we do uh, and what we do very differently to everyone else is that we bring all these minds together when we're trying to understand questions, when we're working on breaches, when we're, and that involves everything from surveillance experts when we're working uh, against organised crime and business email compromise syndicates uh, through to local experts who are specialists in engaging with local law enforcement. And it's the, the bringing together of people of these hugely divergent backgrounds that get you special results. That's, you know, it's a, it's a secret source to getting an intelligence breakthrough is to not just use the same sort of person all the time. So, Rob... You know, with, with regards to this, what, what you're basically saying, if I can simplify it, is that the skill set that was applied to uh, essentially um, compile the information that was presented in the report is the exact same skill set and the exact same ability that could be applied to the commercial business world in such instances as a ransomware attack. Would that be correct? Completely true. Yeah, that's exactly how it works. So when we're doing incident response, for example, I'll give you a great example of a single point of failure in an intelligence analysis. So when we were working on a particular hack in a, in my, in a previous role, there was an icon file. So an icon file is the picture that shows up on your desktop that, that on top of an executable file. That icon file had a symbol in it. And so... The forensic specialists who are the best forensic specialists in the world when it came to understanding malware and understanding 
uh, C2 servers and, and how ransomware functions and all that other stuff. They, they completely understood it all, you know, to, to, the, to the, uh, the, the, the most intricate level of detail. They're the best at it on the planet. But they pulled this icon file and they ran everything they had at it to see if it was infected. Uh, and, and it wasn't, but it had a single symbol and it was the symbol harm. And they attributed that symbol as, as, a, as a Chinese symbol of the harm ethnicity. But anyone who has experience in North Korea will immediately know that Han is a cultural concept of vengeance in North Korea. So they misidentified what that symbol meant because they didn't have the cultural context of the group that they were working against. And that's the, that shows you what happens and how, how big of a mistake you can make. And it did turn out to be later that it was a North Korean attack. It, it shows you how big of a mistake you can make, even if your cyber forensics people are the best in the world. If you don't put the other voices at the table, they're going to stuff things up. Another great example of what that looks like. So when we were working on an incident response for a customer, there was uh, a group that had deployed some of their capability into Western Sydney to open bank accounts and things like that. And so we sent a law enforcement liaison in and were able to very quickly identify who had opened those bank accounts uh, in conjunction with law enforcement cooperation. We then identified who that person was as part of the attack and were able to create enough evidence to lead to that person's arrest and the retrieval of the funds that he stole. He was involved in stealing because it gave us a point of leverage over the group uh, that had done the attack. And so that shows you what happens when you bring more than one voice to the table. And it shows you how to avoid the mistakes that you can make if you are dependent on a single idea and a single way of doing business. Mm -hmm. And would you say then that that is a key point of difference for this organization and the skill set that we have access to? Absolutely. It's, it shows you we can operate at a scale and complexity to tackle questions in a way that a normal incident response would be, wouldn't be handled this way. So the, the best example I can give you of that is you, you talk about you're having the worst day of your life and you're dealing with a guy in a Batman t-shirt who's the cyber incident responder. Yep. Uh, and, and that's sometimes true, right? Yep. A lot of where I see incident response go wrong and forensics go wrong is in the people layer. Because while you're trying to give these people, you're trying to get the forensic information to take someone through an incident response. If you look at the cyber incident response courses that are out there, they're all technical. They don't actually tell you how to comfort a CIO who's having the worst day of his life. They don't tell you how to coordinate with the various parts of a large enterprise uh, to get the logs that you need uh, to work uh, in a way that allows you to enable the executive to support you. Uh, and if you, and I've seen a lot of very bad incident response managed in that way. No, a hundred percent. I mean, I was involved in one myself recently where, as you say, you know, there was, there was there's a lot of emotion involved. You know, you've got someone there that's, probably having the worst day of their life. And I, and I think, you know, for me, what I'm, what I'm starting to realize and understand as, as my journey with this organization continues is that if, if you're just Joe Blow on the street in Australia or any other country for that matter, and, and you're not an organization that is big enough to have a CIO, let alone a CISO, how can that skill set be affordable to somebody, say, in, in the mid-market? How, how can they access those resources and, and, and what have you done as a co-founder to make it, it, it basically it reachable for these people? Well, the idea is that we need to lower the cost. 
right, of cyber. That's one of the, the fundamental problems is that cyber skills are in such a huge shortage that not even journalists can access it to work on the biggest stories of the day uh, a lot of the time. But what we, what we do is you're trying to, you need to put the smarts into people's hands. You need, to be, you need to plug really smart people into your network. And that's what we do through our tech. A lot of our competitors build castles, right? They, they build these huge fortresses uh, and, they, and they only come in one size and they're huge. Uh, and a lot of the cyber technologies that exist on the market today exist to service only a very small portion of the market. And it's usually the top end of town. What we need to do is invest in product that changes the way we do that. Because how far are users from their firewalls these days? And the answer is ever increasing, right? Because they're working from home uh, or they're pushing stuff into the cloud. So the old way of doing things just doesn't work anymore. Uh, and so as a company, one of the reasons why we've grown so quickly is A, we've taken a completely different approach to how we put cyber in the hands uh, of people at any scale and the sort of voices that we bring to the table. We run one of the most diverse cybersecurity companies in Australia. Uh, it's 60-40 male to female at the moment, which is extraordinarily high for a tech company, particularly at our scale and size. Uh, and we're very proud of the fact that we think adding new voices to the table uh, allows us to keep our defence and intelligence culture and that, that edge that comes from people who always want to win. Uh, while we also bring these other skill sets around the table that allow us to get new insights and work in ways that people hadn't done before. That's really cool, Robin. And I think before we wrap up, you know, the Simple Cyber Initiative we launched, I think about four weeks ago now, this is the third or the fourth podcast in the series. Um, and, and look, we've got plenty more coming up. Um, we're going to be talking more around diversity in cybersecurity. Um, we've got topics like mental health in cybersecurity, just areas that just have not been touched on before. So um, plenty more things coming. Um, really, really grateful and, and want to thank you very much indeed for your time today. We look forward to, to sharing more information and more insights to, to this huge topic uh, in the coming weeks. And, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Excellent. We appreciate your time and know you'll be able to improve your security using the information from today. And remember, when you need the best security for your business, speak with us and get the solutions that only Internet 2.0 can provide.